Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at DocWashburnShow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com. This is episode 64 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, January 11th, 2022. Coming up, two big hearings in Washington, D.C. today. One involving Anthony Fauci and the Wu flu. The other involving Joe Biden's DOJ's continuing persecution of January 6th political prisoners. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Now, coming up, we have some pretty good questioning of Biden DOJ officials from Ted Cruz, from Tom Cotton, and from Mike Lee. But first of all, I want to get right into Rand Paul's grilling of Anthony Fauci, because this is a wonder to to behold, not only what Rand Paul is doing here, but also the subterfuge and the political gamesmanship and the propaganda which is uh, the stock and trade of the politician Anthony Fauci, because he certainly, I, I don't think, qualifies to be called the doctor. Anyway, here we go. Dr. Fauci, the idea that a government official like yourself would claim unilaterally, unilaterally to represent science, that any criticism of you would be considered a criticism of science itself, is quite dangerous. Central planning, whether it be of the economy or of science, is risky because of the fallibility of the planner. By the way, Fauci has said that to criticize him is to criticize science. Just so you know, Rand Paul's not imagining this. It would not be so catastrophic if the planner were simply one physician in Peoria. Then the mistakes would only affect that physician's patients, the people who chose that physician. But when the planner is a government official like yourself, who rules by mandate, the errors are compounded and become much more harmful. By the way, this is just a few minutes ago. A planner who believes he is the science leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists who disagree with him. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. This Rand Paul guy is fantastic. He's not only a senator, but he's a doctor, and he's taking down Anthony Fauci, who can only bluster and deflect in response. 
Oh, and engage in character assassination, but we'll get to it. And you quote in the email that they were from Dr. Collins, and you, you agree that they are fringe. And immediately there's this takedown effort. A published takedown, though, you know, doesn't exactly conjure up the image of a dispassionate scientist. Instead of engaging them on the merits, you and Dr. Collins sought to smear them as fringe and take them down. And not in journals, in lay press. This is not only antithetical to the scientific method, it's the epitome of cheap politics, and it's reprehensible, Dr. Fauci. Not only in journals, but in lay press. In other words, in the, the, the mainstream media. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? Here we go. The, the email you're referring to was an email... Of Dr. Collins to me, if you look at the email that you responded to and hurried up and said, I can do it, I can do it, we got something in Wired No, magazine. no, no, I think in you usual did. fashion, Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Did you- again, again, the accusations instead of dealing with the charges. Did you ever object to Dr. Collins's characterization of them as friends? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, no, they're not friends, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath me I, I did not do that. Be- you responded to him that you would do it, and you immediately got an article yeah, in Wired, you, you, and you sent it back to him and said, hey, look, I've got them, I nailed them in Wired of all scientific publications. That's not publications. what went on. You, there you go again. That you was just do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. And so, this, wasn't, so, this wasn't the only time. So your desire to take You're down people. incorrect as usual. Senator, you no. are incorrect almost everything you well, said. Well, no, you deny, you deny, but the emails tell the truth of this. No. This wasn't the only time. Your desire to take down those who disagree with you didn't stop with Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. You conspired with Peter Dazak, who you communicated with privately, and other members of the scientific community that wrote opinion pieces for Nature. Five of them signed a, a paper for Nature, an opinion piece. Seventeen signed a paper that called it conspiracy theory. The idea that the virus could have originated in the lab. Do you think words like conspiracy theory should be in a scientific paper? Again, Rand Paul has him, and all Fauci can do is just say, oh, no, you're wrong. Oh, no, you're making it up, when the evidence is right there. Senator, I never used that word when I was referring to it. You're distorting virtually everything. Did you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature where they were describing, oh, this, there's no way this could that come from, was from not the lab? me. What did I you did, talk with any of those see, scientists privately? The- he says, do you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the article? He said, that was not me. Did you talk to them? Fauci doesn't want to answer direct questions. You keep distorting you? the truth. It is, it is did you talk, how did you you talk to any of the scientists privately yes. who wrote the opinion? You did. Well, what were they telling you privately? Well, let me explain. You know you're going back to that original discussion when I brought together a group of people to look at every possibility with an open mind. Boy, what a lie. That's the exact opposite of what the email evidence shows. We have to shut down this theory of the lab leak. Nothing about, let's look at all the possibilities with open mind. Boy, what a liar. But again, Dr. Kerry Mullis, the guy who won the Nobel Prize for developing the PCR technique, says Fauci has no problems with getting on television, looking right into the camera and lying. He understands nothing. I've played that 
clip many times of the Doc Washburn show. So you, not only are you distorting it, you are completely turning it around. As For most you of the scientists do. that came to you privately, did they come to you privately and say, no way, this came from the lab? Or was their initial impression, Dr. Gary and Dr. others that were involved, was their initial impression actually that it looked very suspicious for a virus you know, that came from a lab? Senator, we are here at a committee to look at a, a virus now that has killed almost 900,000 people. In other words, you're asking me an uncomfortable question, and I'm trying to figure out a way to avoid answering it. And the purpose of the committee was to try and get things out, how we can help to get the American public. And Wait a minute. The CDC director just said of the 836,000 people, 75% at least had four other comorbidities. So he's sticking with this this figure? Really? You keep coming back to personal attacks on me that have absolutely no relevance to reality. Do you think now now this guy this Fauci claiming Rand Paul keeps coming back to personal attacks on him that have no relation to reality? in just a few moments, is going to claim, maybe a Freudian slip, maybe a slip of the tongue, but is going to claim that the senator tries to kill him. That's coming up. Anybody has had more influence let, over let a response to this than you have? Do you Madam think it's a great Chair, success? I, Do you think it's a great success what's happened well, so far? Do you think you, lockdowns are good for our kids? Do you think we slowed down the death rate? More people have died now under President Biden than did under President Trump. You are the one responsible. You are the architect. You are the lead architect for the response from the right. government. And now 800,000 people have died. Right. Do you think it's a, a winning success what you've advocated for government? Um, Senator, first of all, if you look at everything that I said, you accuse me of in a monolithic way telling people what they need to do. Everything that I've said has been in support of the CDC guidelines. Wear a mask. Get boosted. And you've advocated to make it coarse. Take, take and a look at everything that I've said. You've advocated it be done by mandate. But you've advocated that your infallible opinion be dictated by law. Right. See, that's a problem because Fauci's been wrong on so much and he wants to force you to do what he thinks you ought to do right now, which could change tomorrow. So, again, Madam Chair, I would like just a couple of minutes because this this happens all the time. You personally attack me by bringing up evidence, by catching my hand in the cookie jar. That's personally attacking me. And with absolutely not a shred of evidence of anything you say. The emails are there. You're denying the cold, hard evidence. So I would like to make something clear to the committee. He's doing this for political reasons. What you need to do. Oh, so you don't do anything for political reasons. Like after you said lockdowns are good, masks are essential, socialist distancing is essential, and then the summer of 2020, all the George Floyd protests happened. People packed in with sardines, many not wearing masks, and you wouldn't dare criticize that, even when it was called to your attention. But everybody else is political. Right, Tony?
He said in front of this committee. Do you think your takedown of three was, prominent was, epidemiologists was not political? You, you don't want me to- That's it. Oxford, Stanford, Harvard. Taking down those three prominent epidemiologists. That wasn't political. You know what I'm going to say. That was the question. Were you political in taking down these three prominent epidemiologists? Senator Paul, if you would please, um, I'm going to allow Dr. Fauci to respond. We have a number of senators who would like to ask questions, and I would like him to be able to respond. Please do. So the last time we had a committee of the time before, he was accusing me of being responsible for the death of five, four to five million people which is really irresponsible. And I say, why is he doing that? There are two reasons why that's really bad. The first is it distracts from what we're all trying to do here today is get our arms around the epidemic and the pandemic that we're dealing with. Uh, I think the epidemic and pandemic is kind of taken off, man. Omicron's a mild cold. What a, what a prevaricator. Not something imaginary. Number two, what happens when he gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue? When he gets out and accuses me? When he gets out? Well, you think he should be on lockdown? Because he disagrees with you? Is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there and I have life threats upon my life harassment of my family. Wait. Because someone has a political disagreement with you or a medical disagreement with you, there are threats on your life and harassment of your family. So clearly, you're implying that Senator Rand Paul's freedom of speech should be taken away from him. That's clearly what Fauci is implying here. And my children with obscene phone calls because people are lying about me. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. You haven't proved one lie, number one. Number two, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. It's time for you to go, Fouch. Was the great one, Mark Levin calls him, Dr. Anthony Tony Fouch Fouch? Now, you know, I guess you could say, well, that's the way it goes. I can take the hit. Well, it, it, it makes a difference because, as some of you may know, just about three or four weeks ago on December 21st, a person was arrested who was on their way from Sacramento to Washington, D.C. at a speed stop in Iowa. And they asked, the police asked him where he was going, and he was going to Washington, D.C. to kill Dr. Fauci. Okay, so that's Rand Paul's fault for bringing up the truth about what you've done when you're under oath. That's Rand Paul's fault. So you got to curtail his First Amendment right to free speech. Is that what you're saying, Fouch Fouch? And they found in his car an AR-15 and multiple magazines of ammunition because he thinks that maybe I'm killing people. So I ask myself, why would Senator want to do this? Why would the senator want to do this? Excuse me? Why would the senator want to do this? The senator was on his way to Washington, D.C. to kill you? Boy, oh boy. 
You know, there's a commandment. I don't, I don't think Fauci believes in God. I think he, Fauci's an atheist. Regardless, doesn't matter. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why would the senator want to do this? Did you hear that? Unbelievable. So go to Rand Paul website and you see fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic epidemic. Wait a minute. Wanting to fire Dr. Fauci is the same thing as wanting to commit murder? Again, this is Biden's top COVID-19 expert. For your political gain. So the you only have thing politically that, the only attacked thing your can, colleagues uh, and in a politically reprehensible way attack their reputation. Okay, you won't get, defend it. No, you won't well, argue it. I'm You'll just sorry, simply we're turn around the attack. We're going to continue this hearing. We yeah. have a number of questions. Yeah. From just others one, one more minute. Please, well, Dr. My, Fauci, I, I really appreciate your response, but we do have a number of, of questions from senators, and we do have a second round, and I'm being asked to make sure that we everybody has their time. So thank you. Thank you very much for allowing me, Madam Chair. So, what did we just witness? We just witnessed Senator Rand Paul handing Dr. Fauci's gluteus maximus to him, if I may use that term in present company. We witnessed the only response Fauci has is to attempt to lie attempt to deflect, attempt to dissemble. The evidence is what it is. He can't, I mean, he's got no excuse. So again, some guy on December 21st gets arrested at a traffic stop in Iowa and the police ask him, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Washington, D.C. to kill Fauci. And Fauci says, why did the senator do this? Is that the standard now? Is that the standard? So if that's the standard, we look at James T. Hodgkinson going to the baseball field in 2017 and actually shooting at Republican members of Congress almost killed Steve Scalise. We know that James T. Hodgkinson was a Bernie Sanders supporter, but has anyone said, why did the senator do this? Huh? You kidding me? Unfreaking believable. But again, Never forget, never forget what I've told you about this administration. And I understand Fauci has been in this position, head of the NIAID, since Reagan appointed him in the mid-'80s. I get it. But never forget about this Biden administration that 
the people get paid to lie with a straight face. No matter what. The people get paid to lie with a straight face. All right. Now, let's uh, let's move on. Because there was a big hearing today in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I think you need to hear Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, and Mike Lee and what they did, what they did in trying to hold the Biden administration responsible for what they're doing to these January 6th defendants. Now, Nick Searcy, who I had on recently, Nick Searcy, insurrectional film and television star, has got the movie out, Capital Punishment, capital with an O. Had him on the show recently. In response to uh, Ted Cruz's questioning of these DOJ types, Nick Searcy said, also, this is touched on in my movie, CapitalPunishmentTheMovie.com. I'm just an actor who lives in Burbank, and I found this stuff out. What has taken these politicians so long, and why don't they do anything about it? Why not subpoena Ray Epps, Ted Cruz? Ray Epps, of course, one of the primary instigators of what happened on January 6th, who, has, who, was, on, who was on the FBI's most wanted list of January 6th people, until the media started pointing out who he was, and then down the memory hole they deleted it. Oh no, we do, we don't know. We don't we don't want to talk about him. Okay, so Senator Ted Cruz, full questioning of the FBI, a Senate Judiciary hearing today about whether there were FBI informants present on January sixth, and about Ray Epps. Okay. And so he's talking to uh, Jill Sanborn, deputy director of the FBI. And it goes something like this. I want to turn to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hello, excuse me, whoa, as in, whoa. Did you hear that? Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? And the deputy director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation says, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. Really? Really? 
So, which means, of course, they did. Because if they didn't, she would say, well, of course not. Of course not. So your tax money and my tax money is going to federal agents. Federal agents committing crimes of violence at the U.S. Capitol. Good to know. Good to know. More from Ted Cruz. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Wow. Wow. Her silence speaks volumes, doesn't it? Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? Epps. I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Well, there are a lot. She knows who he is. A lot of people who are understandably very concerned about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered. And there's video out there of him chanting, Tomorrow, we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, Fed, 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 Fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. And you know why. And you know why. The next day, the next day, on January 6th, Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. Did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Shortly thereafter, the FBI put out a public post listing, seeking information on individuals connected with violent crimes on January 6th. Among those individuals in the bottom there is Mr. Epps. The FBI publicly asked for information, identifying, offering cash rewards leading to information, leading for information leading to the arrest. This was posted and then sometime later, magically, Mr. Epps disappeared from the public posting. According to public records, Mr. Epps has not been charged with anything. No one's explained why a person videoed urging people to go to the Capitol, a person whose conduct was so suspect the crowd believed he was a Fed, would magically disappear from the list of people the FBI was looking at. Ms. Sandburn, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, and this is, a, this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agent actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Not to my knowledge, sir. Thank you. Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. Well, huh? I uh, 
I find it hard to believe that she's not lying under oath. I find it hard to believe that she's not lying under oath. All right, more of that coming up. More of that coming up. Uh, One of the things that makes us able to continue doing what we're doing here is the fact that we have some sponsors, and we appreciate them. If you tried to buy a car recently, you realize there is such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. The freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still right here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has an Explore Payment Options button. Clicking that guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. All right. I, I want to go back to uh, Tucker Carlson and Darren J. Beatty on January 6th discussing Revolver.News reporting on January 6th and the many unanswered questions that remain about Ray Epps and other mysteriously unindicted people. And it went something like this. We wouldn't know anything about this were it not for Revolver News, which we would say has done the best reporting on January 6th, but really, for being honest, done virtually the only reporting on elements of January 6th. Totally legitimate questions. Darren Beatty runs Revolver News. We're happy to have him join us tonight. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. So uh, I just want to check two facts really quick. So Ray Epps and the man at the top of the tower commanding the crowd to break the law have not been arrested or charged so far as you know. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's actually even more remarkable than that. So Ray Epps is the only person in the mountains of video evidence caught dead to rights saying we need to go into the Capitol and following up on his mission the next day. Not only is he not charged, he's not searched, the January 6th committee has not issued him a subpoena, and the latest information on Epps from the FBI is claiming that they don't know he even exists. Scaffold commander, same situation. Unindicted, unsearched, seemingly no interest in him and there are a cast of other characters who played decisive role in the very beginning of january 6 
creating the conditions to turn the event from a rally into a riot, cutting fences, removing barriers, inciting the crowd. All of these casts of characters covered in the Revolver.News piece, mountains of video evidence, they're unindicted, and it makes no sense. Well, you know, it really doesn't make any sense, and, and I always, because I, I want to trust everybody, I think most Americans do, I always try to think, well, you know, what's the legitimate explanation for something like this? And I honestly can't think of one. And be as fair as you can. Can you? I really can't. Um, one could say absolutely gross incompetence. The only problem is Ray Epps was served to the FBI in a uh, silver platter. The FBI included him as one of the 20 most wanted people. They said, please help us identify him. The Internet identified him like two days later, and the FBI has done nothing. And so it's really, I'm at a loss for an innocent explanation for these discrepancies. Can you imagine why someone like Liz Cheney, or I'll just be honest, like virtually every Republican leader in the Congress has just ignored this. Why would they not want to get to the bottom of such an obvious and important question? Well, because what the evidence suggests is arguably one of the biggest scandals in American history. Left alone, January 6th is a big nothing burger. But if it turns out that some of the key instigators and the key figures who played a role in turning this from a rally into a riot are actually informants of the government or even agents of the government, this is extremely damning to the elements of the government and it completely destroys the false narrative that they're trying to engineer on the basis of this story, which is that Trump supporters are effectively domestic terrorists. Look, I don't want to believe that that's true, but if it's not true, what's the other answer? And I don't think anyone watching should feel embarrassed to ask those questions or allow anyone to bark you into silence by calling you a conspiracy nut. Okay, so what's the answer then? Darren Beatty, I appreciate you. Appreciate reporting on this. It's been really unbelievable. Thank you and brave. Thank you so much, Tucker. Yeah, have you heard about that before? And if you have, do you realize that nobody else is talking about it? Nobody else is talking about it. Why is that? Why is that, do you think? All right, um, let's go to Tom Cotton's. Let's go to Tom Cotton's interrogation of these DOJ and FBI types. He's got uh, Assistant Attorney Assistant Attorney General Matthew Olson during the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. This is less than 30 minutes ago. Tom Cotton, Junior Senator of Arkansas. Mr. Olson, on July 28, 2020, you signed a public letter attacking the Trump administration for using Department of Homeland Security officers to help protect the federal courthouse in Portland from violent rioters. That letter stated, quote, plainclothes officers and unmarked vehicles should be used only in limited capacities and clearly identified circumstances. Crowd control is not among those circumstances. Mr. Olson, on January 6, 2021, did the Department of Justice or FBI have any plainclothes officers among the crowd at the Capitol? Senator, I'm not uh, aware of whether or not there were uh, plainclothes officers in, 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 in among the crowd uh, at the Capitol on, Jan- on, July 6th, on January 6th. 
did any plainclothes officers enter the Capitol on January 6th? I, I don't know the answer to that, Senator. Um, Mr. I have a hard time believing that. Also, I got to say, your answers to many questions today are disappointing because they boil down to essentially, I don't know. Did you prepare for this hearing? Did you know this hearing was happening before this morning? Oh! The direct answer, yes, I I prepared extensively, Senator. Many of the questions are about specific specific facts that I don't have. Well, uh, I mean, let me, what was the... the, I I do think that's one of the most important points that I would emphasize is... um, you know, it's again, it's a general, general matter. It's not appropriate to comment on ongoing investigations. Well, I'm not, I didn't ask you about an ongoing investigation, but I just flipped to the cover of my binder here. It says the title of this hearing is the domestic terrorism threat one year after January 6th. The attorney general has repeatedly said this is one of the department's highest priority. You're testifying at a hearing about the domestic terrorism threat one year after January 6th. And you can't answer questions about how many people have been charged for events arising out of January 6th. Would, would you go into a briefing with the attorney general, your boss, and not be able to answer such basic questions? <laughs> in the last question you asked, Senator, uh, over 700 people have been charged in connection with January 6th. About 325 have been charged with serious felonies in connection with uh, attacks well, ten, on the ten, on ten minutes ago, Senator Cruz asked you this series of questions, and you didn't have the answer. You didn't have the answer for how many people have been charged with violent offenses or nonviolent offenses and so on and so forth. Have you been given an answer in the last 10 minutes? I, I, I'm, and I, I'm sorry if I misunderstood, Senator, but I, I believe that Senator Cruz was asking me about uh, other events, not the January 6th okay. event. Okay. Um, let's turn to another issue that came up earlier today, Ray Epps. Uh, during the January 6th riots last year, Mr. Epps was caught on video several times. He seemed to encourage uh, people to enter the Capitol to break down police barriers uh, video from the rallies uh, or from the rally down the National Mall early that day shows him doing the same thing. Uh, video even from the night before shows him encouraging people to enter the Capitol. Ray Epps lives in Arizona. He didn't exactly go underground after January 6th. He even gave an interview to local media. And he was well known to the Department of Justice. He was on the FBI's Capitol Riot Most Wanted page just days after January 6th. Uh, in fact, he was one of the first 16 suspects added to that Most Wanted page on your website. It does not appear that he's been arrested or charged in any offense. In July, without explanation, he was removed from the FBI's most wanted page. Mr. Olson, who is Ray Epps and why was he removed from the FBI's most wanted list? Senator, I don't have any information about that individual. Um, I would defer to, to Ms. Sanborn for any additional. So, but, so, okay, so this is, it gets back to what I. I mean, earlier, asking if you prepared for this hearing, um, you're the Assistant Attorney General for National Security. You run the National Security Division. The department has said that these January 6th prosecutions are one of their highest priorities. This is a man who was on the most wanted page for six months. Do you really, do you really expect us to believe that you've never heard of the name Ray Epps? You don't know anything about him? I simply don't have any information at all, uh, Senator, about that individual. What other what other suspects on the most wanted page do you know nothing about? Um, Senator, in, in, let me in ask my, you this: Can you name anyone else? On, can you name anyone else on the on the Department of Justice's most wanted page? 
I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't hear your question. Can you name anyone else on the Department of Justice's most wanted page from the January 6th riots? I'm not familiar with the most wanted page. No, I'm not familiar with that. All here. right. My- well, I guess we're going to have to seek our answers elsewhere, but this has not been a stellar performance today. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we don't believe them. We don't believe them. But again, 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 again. Uh, let me just try to bring us back down to earth here and put things in perspective. A guy that I really respect, Colonel Kurt Schlichter, I've interviewed him before. In response to Ted Cruz's questioning of the deputy director of the FBI, Jill Sanborn, about Ray Epps, about January 6th, Kurt Schlichter says, holy smoke, props to Senator Ted Cruz. But Nick Searcy responds. Again, Nick Searcy, the guy who put together the Capital Punishment movie, responds to Kurt Schlichter, except for the old, nice show, Ted, now what? Why doesn't someone subpoena Ray Epps, man? Why are they always just all talk? So that's a good question. That's a good question. Now, I don't have the video, but I have uh, kind of a little transcript of some of the stuff that Senator Mike Lee of Utah was asking these DOJ talking heads today. Um, By the way, by the way, DOJ announced today that under their National Security Division, they have come up with a, uh, they've created a new domestic terror unit. So I guess that's to go after people like you and me. Julie Kelly says Republican senators better raise hell on this. Under what authority does Olson, the guy that uh, Tom Cotton was just interrogating there, Deputy Attorney General, have to open an investigative unit to target American citizens. So Senator Mike Lee, Utah, says, has anyone been charged with insurrection? Olson says, not aware of anyone being charged with that. Mike Lee raises his June 2021 letter asking the DOJ to explain discrepancies in prosecution of 2020 riots with how January 6th defendants are being handled. DOJ reply four months later didn't answer a single question in the letter. Mike Lee says, did DOJ use geofence warrants to track protests in summer 2020? Because clearly they did for January 6th. Also says no information on that. Sanborn just blah, blah, blah. Mike Lee, did you use in, Jan- in, in 2020 and January 6th? Sanborn says we'll respond later. Mike Lee, how many of the 2020 rioters were subjected to pre-dawn raids with SWAT teams? Sanborn won't answer, just tries to deflect. Mike Lee, how many 2020 rioters were placed in solitary confinement? Sanborn says don't have that data, wouldn't have that data. Mike Lee, how many 2020 rioters offered deferred resolution agreement? Olson, I have no information. Mike Lee asked for a specific reply soon. 
So, I think it would be a good idea to take a look at the article by Julie Kelly from January 7th in American Greatness, 12 questions the Justice Department and FBI need to answer about January 6th. Julie Kelly was hoping that these questions would be answered today. Okay? So, for my listeners in Louisiana and Tennessee and Nebraska, Julie Kelly out there on Twitter 35 minutes ago saying, very unfortunate the Senators Ben Sass, Marsha Blackburn, and John Kennedy did not show up at the Senate hearing today on January 6th. They're on the Judiciary Committee, but they didn't see any point in showing up. For my listeners in Missouri, Julie Kelly also says, unfortunate that Senator Hawley is rehashing the school board memo he should have built on momentum of Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton line of questioning about FBI involvement in January 6th. Is that too much to ask? Is it too much to expect? It's outrageous. It's outrageous. What's going on in D.C.? All right, let, let, let's take a look at this article. 12 questions the Justice Department and FBI need to answer about January 6th. Subtitled, Republican rank and file are fed up with feckless GOP leadership and are starting to see the Capitol protests as an inside job rather than a spontaneous uprising. And the editors add this note to Julie Kelly's article from January 7th. They say, There's a good chance Republicans can take control of both houses of Congress in the 2022 midterm elections. There's an even better chance they will wimp out and betray their supporters again. This open letter is addressed to one especially disappointing group. Dear Senate Judiciary Committee Republicans, Happy New Year. Hope you're ready and rested for the big political fights ahead in 2022. Republicans across the country are counting on you to stand tough against the Biden regime and your Democrat counterparts in advance of a potentially power-shifting election this November. Just kidding. Alas, informed Republicans know that even with all the uncertainties in the world, we can be certain that the Republican members of the Senate Judiciary Committee will always disappoint us. Even when you control this important committee for four years under a Republican president, you fail to fulfill one empty promise after another. Remember all the promises to get to the bottom of Russia Gate, the biggest political scandal and abuse of government power in history? Well, until January 6th. Remember how you let Senator Dianne Feinstein and Democrat activists hijack the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh 
which led to a humiliating and divisive showdown between the Supreme Court nominee and his half-baked accuser. Oh, 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 oh. And remember that lengthy investigative report you issued a few months later that accused people of lying to Congress and referred them to the Justice Department, which you purportedly oversee, on criminal charges, but nothing ever happened? Good times. During the first year of the Biden administration, you made nary a peep as Biden filled his cabinet with Obama loyalists and left-wing radicals. My favorite moment was when every member of the committee voted to advance the nomination of Lisa Monaco, Barack Obama's hyper-partisan Homeland Security Advisor, Russiagate Architect, and former Chief of Staff to FBI Director Robert Mueller to serve as Deputy Attorney General under Biden. She is what Andrew Weissman was to Mueller when he was special counsel, the vengeful Republican-hating prosecutor calling the shots behind the grandfatherly veneer of Attorney General Merrick Garland. Did you know that? Did you know that every Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to advance the nomination of this horrible Lisa Monaco person? Now, nary a question for her, for that matter. Now, let me tell you who those Republicans are on the Senate Judiciary Committee just so you know. Ranking member Chuck Grassley, Iowa. Then there's Lindsey Graham, South Carolina. Now, Sean, just wait and see, Sean. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Sean, just wait and see. That Lindsey Graham. Senator John Cornyn, Texas. Senator Mike Lee, Utah. Senator Ted Cruz, Texas. Senator Ben Sass, Nebraska. Senator Josh Hawley, who talks a good game out of Missouri. Senator Tom Cotton, Arkansas. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Senator John Kennedy, Louisiana, Tom Tillis, North Carolina, Marsha Blackburn, Texas. Pardon me, Marsha Blackburn, Tennessee. Got to get new glasses. TN, not TX. Every one of them voted to move Lisa Monaco's nomination forward. Back to the article. But don't feel bad. Every every Republican senator except two voted to confirm Monaco last April. As I wrote after her confirmation, rather than act as any sort of barrier to protect America from the arsonist-in-chief, hell-bent on burning down every tradition, constitutional guardrail, a notion of common decency owed to fellow Americans, Senate Republicans are handing Joe Biden the matches. Senators Rand Paul, Kentucky, and Ted Cruz, Texas, were the only Republicans to vote against Monaco's nomination. But Senator Ted Cruz just stepped in a mound of political guano last week when he described the four-hour disturbance at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, as a violent terrorist attack. That comment was not only music to Lisa Monaco's ears, but pleased every January 6th propagandist on the left, from Joe Biden and FBI Director Christopher Wray, who also designated the protests an act of domestic terror, down to the average low IQ CNN viewer. 
Ted Cruz's remarks, which included high praise for Capitol Police, the agency responsible for the shooting death of an unarmed female veteran that afternoon, resulted in widespread condemnation on social media and by Fox News host Tucker Carlson. To quell the outrage, Ted Cruz appeared on Tucker Carlson's show Thursday evening to explain himself. It did not go well. Cruz confessed that his words were sloppy and misunderstood. People who attack police officers, Cruz insisted, are terrorists. Not the thousands of peaceful protesters in attendance on January 6th. He spent a few minutes tossing a verbal word salad before an increasingly skeptical Carlson interrupted Ted Cruz and confessed, I just don't believe you. Ouch. The Texas senator and Republican presidential prospect, however, regained a bit of his footing at the end of the interview after Tucker Carlson played footage of Ray Epps, a January 6th agitator suspected of being a government asset. Ted Cruz said Epps' provocative behavior suggests he was working for the FBI. Cruz said Merrick Garland and the Justice Department won't answer whether Epps and other FBI informants and agents were involved with the events of January 6th. Well, this Tuesday, Ted Cruz and the rest of you have a chance to ask again and again and again. That's what's going on today. Top officials. Top officials from the Justice Department and FBI are scheduled to testify before your committee during a hearing titled The Domestic Terrorism Threat One Year After January 6th. And again, John Kennedy, Ben Sass, Marsha Blackburn couldn't be bothered with the hearing today. That should tell you something. Matthew Olson, the Assistant Attorney General of the Justice Department's National Security Division, a reminder for Senator Lindsey Graham, that was the agency that prepared the unlawful FISA applications against Carter Page. Seems like you forgot all about that, Lindsey. And Jill Sanborn, Executive Assistant Director of the FBI's National Security Branch, will undoubtedly present all sorts of dire assessments about the threat of domestic terrorists, also known as Trump voters, and urge Democrats to send more money and manpower to combat the dangerous scourge of QAnon shamans and Indiana Mimos. So here's your opportunity to finally show some spinal steel after nearly six years of cravenous appeasement, instead of wasting one second of your five-minute allotment th- thinking, thanking the Justice Department and FBI for terrorizing trespassers, might I suggest you immediately confront these constitutional malefactors with the following. Question number one. Why does the Justice Department consider 14,000 hours of surveillance video captured on January 6th by taxpayer-funded security cameras as highly sensitive government material? Why are even 30-second clips used in court proceedings under protective orders with strict rules about how defendants and their attorneys can view the evidence against them? That's a great question. I don't think anybody's answered that yet today. Question number two. What is the status of the FBI's lengthy investigation into the alleged pipe bomber and why... Despite using every intrusive tool, including geofence warrants, to collect information on Capitol protesters, has the FBI not yet identified a suspect on the alleged pipe bombs found in front of the DNC and the RNC? That's a good question. I don't think anybody's asked that yet. 
Number three, here's a question they have asked. Is Ray Epps an FBI asset? If not, why has he not been charged despite clearly engaging in the same behavior that resulted in felony criminal charges against other January 6th participants? Yeah, they drilled down on Ray Epps. At least uh, Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton did. Number four question that should be asked today. Did the FBI run informants into alleged militia groups such as the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers before January 6th? Can you confirm the New York Times reporting from September that disclosed at least two FBI informants were with the Proud Boys when they breached the first exterior barrier right before 1 p.m. on January 6th? No. Didn't see that question asked. Number five, why is Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, and person one in every indictment for the 20 defendant conspiracy case against the Oath Keepers, still not charged himself with any crime, even though he clearly organized the alleged conspiracy and was on Capitol grounds on January 6th? Good question. I don't think anybody has brought up anything about Stuart Rhodes today. Just so you know. Just so you know. See, um... Question number six of the 12 questions that should be asked today by Republicans in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Again, it would be a lot easier if some of these questions had been asked if Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, and um, who's the other one that didn't show up? Hang on a second. Ben Sass of Nebraska had actually even showed up for the January 6th hearing today on the uh, Judiciary Committee in the Senate. Just a thought. Question number six. Explain why the Justice Department, notwithstanding testimony to the contrary, had elite FBI forces stationed at Quantico the weekend before January 6th, hundreds of FBI agents were deployed to the area around the Capitol that morning, and some entered the building with a first set of protesters who breached the actual building. Is this not a contradiction of what Justice Department and FBI officials previously testified under oath? And she links to the article from Newsweek magazine from last week, exclusive Secret commandos with shoot-to-kill authority were at the Capitol. Really? Nobody's asking about this. Question number seven. How many pretrial detention orders has the Justice Department sought against January 6th defendants? How many remain behind bars right now? How many face nonviolent charges and have no criminal record? How can the Justice Department continue to ask for delays and trial dates For detained defendants, is this not a clear violation of the Sixth Amendment? It seems like part of this was asked, but certainly not all of it. Number eight, how many detainees have been held in solitary confinement conditions in the D.C. jail specifically used to house January 6th defendants? Number nine, does any police officer face possible charges for excessive unlawful Force, including the two D.C. Metro police officers who beat, punched, and maced Victoria White inside the Lower West Terrace Tunnel on January 6th. And she links to the article 
in which Victoria White was interviewed. She thought she was going to die that day. Number 10. Is there a formal investigation into the death of Roseanne Boyland outside that tunnel on January 6th? Video and eyewitness accounts suggest she did not die of an accidental drug overdose, but actually may have been the victim of police misconduct. Number 11. How many raids has the FBI conducted to arrest January 6th defendants, and does this include Americans only charged with misdemeanors? I don't think that one was asked either. Number 12, how much taxpayer money has the Department of Justice spent so far in what Merrick Garland called the agency's largest investigation in history? Yeah, I don't think they asked about that one either. Julie Kelly, in this article from last Friday, says, you get the drift, I hope. Republican rank and file are fed up with feckless GOP leadership and are starting to see the Capitol protests as more of an inside job than a spontaneous uprising incited by Donald Trump. You won't get answers from these officials, but you can make a very public case that one year later, the official narrative about January 6th looks quite dissimilar from the facts at hand. If you need help, feel free to call Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, or me. We'll be watching. That's Julie Kelly from American Greatness. Twelve questions the Justice Department and FBI need to answer about January 6th. Goodness, goodness, goodness. And three of those U.S. senators didn't even bother showing up. Didn't even bother showing up. Marsha Blackburn, Tennessee. John Kennedy, Louisiana. Ben Sass, Nebraska. I mean, what's the deal here? What's the deal? Why did they? Uh, why did they not show up? And uh, Josh Hawley rehashing the school board memo. I just, uh, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. So, you know, we talk a lot about how the government, especially the federal government, does not have our best interests at heart. I mean, if you think that when they crammed Obamacare down our throats in 2009, they were doing it to try to help us. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. But at long last, there is an alternative. So let me ask you, did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Got good news for you. It's a website called myfamilyhealthplan.com. You go to myfamilyhealthplan.com and you see the words affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And then the button says schedule call now. That's what you want to do. Schedule, call, now. 
you wind up talking to my friend Art Wilborn. Get a free consultation with him, Art Wilborn. He'll make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. He'll make sure that unlike a lot of those Obamacare plans, you don't wind up having to cover stuff like abortion that would be offensive to your deeply held religious beliefs. And you save money. Such a deal. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. Go to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Click on the button, schedule call now. And Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right. You'll be glad you did, by the way. So, I don't know if you heard about this, but um, Project Veritas, Project Veritas has done a number on Anthony Fauci. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but in the category of, I don't know if you heard about this, there is a statement by National Security Council spokesperson Emily Horn on the United States providing additional humanitarian assistance to the people of Afghanistan. And here's what it says. The United States is announcing a new contribution of more than $308 million in humanitarian assistance for the people of Afghanistan. This brings total U.S. humanitarian aid in Afghanistan for Afghan refugees in the region to nearly $782 million since October 2021, and we remain the single largest donor of humanitarian aid in Afghanistan. In addition, the United States is providing the people of Afghanistan 1 million additional COVID-19 vaccine doses through COVAX, bringing our total to 4.3 million doses. The new humanitarian assistance by the United States Agency for International Development will directly flow through independent humanitarian organizations and help provide life-saving protection and shelter, essential health care, winterization assistance, emergency food aid, water, sanitation, and hygiene services in response to the growing humanitarian needs exacerbated by COVID-19 and healthcare shortages, drought, malnutrition, and the winter season. The United States is committed to supporting the Afghan people, and we continue to consider all options available to us. We stand with the people of Afghanistan. All right, now, um, why is it we should believe one word of this? Why should we believe one word of this? I mean, clearly, there's no reason to believe the Taliban will let any of this money get through to people who actually need it, right? It's ridiculous. Donald Trump Jr. says rather than paying the Taliban more hush money, maybe Joe Biden should just tell them to uh, put an Apache helicopter on eBay. $782 million in less than four months to the Taliban. To the Taliban. 
that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? It's it's absolutely outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Um. So yes, the um. Project Veritas. Project Veritas and Fauci. Uh, no, I, I'll get to it in just a second. But first, yesterday, Peter Ducey and Jen Psaki at the White House. Here it goes. I understand that the science says that vaccines prevent death. But I'm triple vaxxed, still got COVID. You're triple vaxxed, still got COVID. Why is the president still referring to this as a pandemic of the unvaccinated? Well, I, I think, Peter, there's a significant difference between, and you just you just experienced this, and not to expose your public health experience, but I can speak to mo- mine as well. I had been triple vaxxed. I had minor symptoms. There is a huge difference between that and being unvaccinated. You are 17 times more likely to go to the hospital if you're not vaccinated, 20 times more likely to die. And those are significant. Does anybody actually believe that? Serious statistics. So, yes, the impact uh, for people who are unvaccinated is far more dire than those who are vaccinated. Will the president update his language at some time to be more reflective of the fact that people who are triple vaccinated are catching and spreading COVID? I think people. Our president has said, as have we a number of times, that there will be breakthrough cases. There will be people who get COVID uh, here uh, at different media organizations, at companies around the world, uh, around the country uh, who have been vaccinated. But there is a significant difference between being hospitalized or dying and uh, being vaccinated with more mild symptoms. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, try to uh, try to keep the lid on that as long as you can. Yeah, good luck with that. All right, um, the postmillennial.com news website has this. Project Veritas releases military documents that contradict Fauci's sworn testimony on gain-of-function research. According to the documents... National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, under the direction of Dr. Fauci, proceeded with the research at the Wuhan Virology Lab in China and at several sites across the U.S. Project Veritas released documents Monday night, which appear to contradict NIH Director Anthony Fauci's sworn testimony regarding gain-of-function research. It's actually the NIAID director under the NIH. But anyway, the documents come from a report at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, which were allegedly hidden in a top-secret shared drive. DARPA facilitates research and technology with potential military applications under the U.S. Department of Defense, Project Veritas has obtained a report which states that EcoHealth Alliance approached DARPA March 2018 looking to obtain funding for Project Defuse to conduct a gain-of-function research of coronaviruses from bats. According to Project Veritas, the proposal was rejected by DARPA because it violated a gain-of-function research moratorium. Additionally, there were safety concerns. 
According to the documents, NIAID, under the direction of Dr. Fauci, proceeded with the research of the Wuhan Virology Lab in China and at several sites, several other sites across the U.S. Fauci has repeated under oath during multiple congressional hearings that the NIH and the NIAID have not been involved in gain-of-function research with the EcoHealth Alliance program. According to Project Veritas, the report goes on to detail concern regarding the COVID-19 gain-of-function program, the concealment of documents, the suppression of potential curatives like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and the mRNA vaccines. DARPA's chief of communications, Jared Adams, told Project Veritas when asked about the secrecy surrounding the documents, quote, it doesn't sound normal to me. If something resides in a classified setting, then it should be appropriately marked. I'm not at all familiar with unmarked documents that reside in a classified space, unquote. But according to the Project Veritas, the main report regarding the EcoHealth Alliance proposal leaked on the Internet a couple of months ago. It has remained unverified until now. Now it's verified. Now it's verified. So telling you, the guy should be held accountable. Um, about the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings today, haven't said anything about the Democrats. Julie Kelly says, LOL, this is delicious. Senator Whitehouse now running cover for why the FBI would infiltrate suspected terrorist groups with undercover agents and confidential human sources underscores they would have to go by the book if they did it, which clearly they didn't, so Democrats know what's coming. Committee attempting to portray Ray Epps' questions as a conspiracy theory promoted by Darren J. Beatty and Tucker Carlson. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know, I feel like it's probably... Probably that time again on the show. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online and have it delivered to your front door. Anywhere in the continental U.S. Tweet of the day from uh, Daily Wire. That's uh, Ben Shapiro's outfit. Whoopi Goldberg tells her co-host at The View she was shocked to get COVID after being triple vaccinated because she said she had done everything she was supposed to do. Just shocked. (laughs) Because she doesn't actually keep up with what's going on in the world around her and apparently had no idea anybody else got the COVID after being double vaxxed and boosted. I'm saying. Steve Day says, LOL. Melvin Pierce quotes Mark Twain. It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. Oh, how true, my brother. 
Oh, how true, my brother. She's shocked. Shocked, I tell you. But that is the tweet of the day brought to you by Red River Your Way. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online and have it delivered to you anywhere in America. All right. Now, which state was it? I'm trying to remember. Um, I think it was South Carolina that came up. The uh, the governor there is supporting a bill that money for education would go to the students and not necessarily the uh, the public schools, and that's really good idea. School choice. School choice is the way to go. I don't know if you noticed. Don't know if you have uh, children or grandchildren in the government schools, but most of them tend to try to indoctrinate children in worldviews that are anathema to most Americans. I don't know. Were you were you aware of that? It's been going on for it's been going on for a long time, for a long time. So there is a um, Twitter profile. I think it's called Libs of TikTok, something like that, where they find these uh, liberals that are doing these um, these TikTok videos, just outrageous stuff. And so here is this woman who is a public school teacher just thrilled that she can indoctrinate school children into an ungodly lifestyle. Here it goes. My name is McGeester White. I'm non-binary, and I am a high school teacher. She's non-binary. You look at her. She's a woman. She's dressed in woman's clothing, but she's non-binary, according to herself. She's a high school teacher. Wait, her, her name is what? McGeester? Was that it? My name is McGeester White. I'm non-binary, and I am a high school teacher. I wonder what her mother called her. I doubt her mother named her McGeester. Anyway. So today I thought I'd tell you a little bit about what I've done and what my school has done uh, to make me feel comfortable out as non-binary at my school. Non-binary. What a stupid thing to say. Let's uh, let's check Urban Dictionary. Let's check... check uh, Good old Urban Dictionary, and uh, see if we can find out what non-binary means to young people these days. Because you know, I got to keep it one hundred, bro. Not gonna lie, fam. Got to keep it one hundred. You know what I'm saying? Uh, non-binary, the best type of encoding in an alternate. Pardon me, non-binary, the best type of encoding in an alternate reality game. I don't think that's quite uh like a second definition for non-binary. Usually under the gender queer or transgender umbrellas when someone's 
sense of gender is not male, female, or something in between, androgynous, includes neutrois, a gender, genderless, gender neutral, and other senses of gender devoid of male or female aspects. Well, she's clearly a woman who's dressed like a woman. You can't change it. It's female DNA in every cell of her body, but she doesn't care. Non-binary, an array of so-called genders that lie somewhere between male and female, which special snowflakes seeking to stray from the norm choose to identify as. (laughs) And they give an example. Tom says, are you male or female? Snowflake responds, neither, I'm non-binary. Tom says, well, you're a special one, aren't you? So let's get back to McGeester. I guarantee you that was not the name her mother gave her. McGeester. See, the the school administration or high school wanted to help her feel comfortable as non-binary. Screw the kids. First thing is really easy. I wear a pronoun pin every day. This works as a visual cue for my students. When I introduced myself to my students, I also gave them some example sentences for those students who weren't as familiar with using they, them pronouns. They weren't as familiar with using they, them pronouns. See, they and them, uh, those are plurals, and she's only one person. So I told them, uh, you could say, oh, I have Magistra Wise class next. They teach Latin. Or you could say, this freak, Ms. Weiss, I got her class. I wonder if any of the uh, students say that. Probably not to her face, but you, you, you understand where I'm going here. I wanted to have a few visual cues in my classroom to show students that it is a welcoming and inclusive place. So one of the things I did was I put a pride flag on my desk. A welcoming place, an inclusive place, except for people who disagree with you. She said, I put a pride flag on my desk. Oh, she's so excited. Oh, my goodness, I got a gay pride flag. I'll take a pause here and say I am very, very lucky to teach at the school I teach at. Um, They are very openly devoted to diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Those are some of the things that I've done, but what about my school? I use the title Magistra instead of Mr. or Miss, and the IT team actually managed to code it into the system, so anytime my name pops up, it comes up with Magistra Y instead of Mr. or Miss. Wait a minute. So Magistra is not what she's saying her first name is. That's like something other than Mr. or Miss. Who knew? I had a lot of colleagues ask me really insightful questions about my gender and my pronouns and my experience. And in general, they have created a really welcoming environment. Her gender, she's female. Magistra. Hey, 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 I got your Magister right here, okay? And I don't think they did this on purpose, but my classroom is right next to the gender-neutral bathroom. She's just so excited. So excited to be shaking her fist in God's face because, you know, God created us in his image, male and female. Non-binary. 
I think, you know, is a uh, evidence of mental illness. She's so excited to have the opportunity to try to indoctrinate high school kids. This is what goes on in public schools all over the country. Time to get your kids out. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Remarkable. Remarkable. Oh, by the way, um, regarding Fauci, regarding Fauci, and Fauci claiming that Rand Paul tried to get him killed, the great Seth J. Levy over there on Twitter said, this is a smear on Fauci's primary critic as an employee of the government and primary architect of our highly controversial COVID response, Fauci believes he can force vaccinations and shut down businesses or get people fired from their jobs without criticism. That's disgusting. Brian Dean Wright, former CIA ops officer, says Fauci is the deep state, an unelected bureaucrat who thinks he knows what's best for the nation, based solely on his personal beliefs, and he's going to do as he would like, oversight and laws be damned. And that's what's up. Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch says, what is Fauci hiding on gain-of-function research, coronavirus, in Wuhan? And he links to the article from Judicial Watch, which came out just days ago. Judicial Watch, new Fauci agency COVID records reveal information about NIH research into the coronavirus. Judicial Watch announced Friday it received 221 pages of records from the Department of Health and Human Services, which include a grant application for research involving the coronavirus that was submitted in 2018. The grant application appears to describe gain-of-function research involving RNA extractions from bats, experiments on viruses, attempts to develop a chimeric virus, and efforts to genetically manipulate the full-length bat SARS-CoV-WIV-1 strain molecular clone. The documents were obtained by Judicial Watch through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit for records of communications, contracts, and agreements with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The lawsuit specifically requests records about NIH grants that benefited the Wuhan Institute of Virology. On January 27, 2020, NIAID official David Morins emailed Chief of Staff Craig Folkers in a heavily redacted thread. Some background on, here's from the part that's unredacted. Some background on our support of the EcoHealth Group, Peter Dajak et al., which has for years been among the biggest players in coronavirus work, also in collaboration with Ralph Barrick, Ian Lipkin, and others, redacted. NIAID has been funding Peter's group for coronavirus work in China for the past five years through a grant understanding the risk of bat coronavirus emergence. That's now been renewed with a specific focus to identify cohorts of people highly exposed to bats in China and work out if they're getting sick from COVs. 
Collaborators include Wuhan Institute of Virology, currently working on the NCOV, and Ralph Barrick, the results of the work to date. And they have a bunch of redactions. But again, this whole article is about stuff that Fauci keeps on lying under oath about. The Pentagon, Kyle Becker, Becker News, had this months ago. The Pentagon gave millions to Wuhan Lab Connected Group with ties to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Will anyone ever be held accountable? Will anyone ever be held accountable? I don't know. Because we know what happens when Republicans come into power. I don't know. Oh, wait, what? Breaking news. Republican Senators Mitt Romney and Mike Rounds agree with Democrats. 2020 election was totally fine. At the Federalist, Jordan Boyd, subtitle of It's Too Much for GOP Leaders to Learn Basic Election Facts, They Should Find New Jobs. Republican Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota should educate himself about basic facts before he goes on national TV. On Sunday, the junior senator from the Mount Rushmore State went on the Sunday show of George Step on All of Us, the former press secretary for President Bill Clinton, and claimed the 2020 election was as fair as we have seen. No, the 2020 election was riddled with problems. Mark Elias, the Democrat operative who ran the Russia collusion hoax, coordinated the Democrat-financed effort to change hundreds of election laws in the months leading up to the election. Many of those changes were instituted outside state legislatures and in in unconstitutional manners. The changes were designed to flood the election system with tens of millions of mail-in ballots and to decrease legal scrutiny of those ballots. At the same time, Mark Zuckerberg, one of the world's wealthiest, most powerful men, spent $419 million to finance the private takeover of government election offices, prioritizing the blue areas of swing states. That takeover helped Democrats run their get-out-the-vote operations through government offices. That's to say nothing of big tech oligarchs engaging in vast and widespread censorship on behalf of political allies, interfering in the election with propaganda in the form of fact checks, deplatforming of the most effective conservative voices, and algorithmic manipulation to benefit the Democrat Party. To take but one example, just weeks before the election, Big Tech and its media and Democrat allies conspired to censor a blockbuster New York Post story about corruption involving the Biden family business. But... South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds told George Stepp on all of us over the weekend, quote, the election was fair, as fair as we have seen. We simply did not win the election as Republicans for the presidency and moving forward. And that's the way we want to look at this. Moving forward, we have to refocus once again on what's going to take, what it's going to take to win the presidency. And if we simply look back and tell our people don't vote because there's cheating going on, then we're going to put ourselves at a huge disadvantage so moving forward, let's focus on what it takes to win these those elections. We can do that. 
We have to let people know that they can believe and they can have confidence that those elections are fair. Mike Rounds had nothing to say about the second-class treatment his conservative voters suffer at the hands of the media, big tech, and other powerful establishment forces. He offered no fixes for the problems, but a denial that the problems exist in the first place. His performance was so bad, Republican Senator Mitt Romney later echoed Rounds on Twitter and claimed the Republican Rounds speaks truth knowing that our republic depends on it. Corporate media outlets rushed to amplify Mike Rounds' interview and use it to further discredit other Republicans' attempts to promote election integrity within their states. One CNN headline, editor-at-large Chris Saliza stated, quote, this Republican senator just admitted the 2020 election wasn't rigged. Politico claimed GOP senator says Trump's election allegations are unfounded. Rolling Stone blared GOP senator undermines Trump's fraud claims, says the election was fair. Former President Trump quickly scolded Mike Rounds for his comments and called the senator a jerk for overlooking America's, Americans' concerns about election integrity. Trump said in a statement, Senator Mike Rounds just went woke on the fraudulent presidential election of 2020, noting there's evidence to the contrary of Rounds' comments in multiple states. The vast majority of Republicans and all Americans have concerns about election integrity, contrary to the narrative spun by Mike Rounds, Mitt Romney, Democrats, and the media. Polling suggests less than one-third of Republican voters were confident in the 2020 election counting process. 46% of these same voters testified they thought similar election problems would arise in the 2022 midterms. As documented by Molly Hemingway in her book, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections, there were intentional attempts multiple states to use COVID-19 as an excuse to loosen voting protocols and create a space for bad actors to push their preferred candidates across the finish line. In Pennsylvania, the Democrat Party used left-run courts after bypassing the state legislature to make half a dozen changes to the state's election code ahead of the 2020 election. These changes included expanding mail-in voting, adding drop boxes across the state, and relaxing verification standards for absentee ballots. Other swing states and counties key to determining who would sit in the Oval Office come January 2021 accepted conditional money from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg through shady election-manipulating organizations designed to increase Democrat voter turnout. While South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds claimed He had looked at over 60 different accusations made in multiple states and found nothing significant. Those reports didn't even address the unconstitutional changes to election laws, how those changes made for a chaotic and confusing system impossible to scrutinize, the overtaking of government election offices, big tech censorship, and other serious problems. One report from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty found that tens of thousands of the votes cast in the 2020 election via ballot drop boxes boosted Biden's votes in the state by 20,000 votes. In addition to dozens of ineligible voters casting ballots, nearly 55,000 votes were cast by individuals who have never shown a voter ID in any election. More than 3,700 were cast from addresses that were on the 2019 movers list and people who moved out of state, and approximately 
7,700 failed their DMV check when they registered. Pretending that the 2020 election was a perfect does a disservice to Americans, given the importance of free and fair elections to the survival of the republic. Is it too much to ask Republican leaders to acquaint themselves with the bare minimum of facts surrounding the election? If it's too much to ask, perhaps they should be replaced with people who actually care about making sure the country's elections are free, fair, transparent, and unriggable. Amen. That's Jordan Boyd, staff writer of The Federalist. And the article is entitled... GOP Senators Romney Rounds agree with Democrats' 2020 election was totally fine. All right, now, just a reminder for my listeners in Central Central Arkansas that in January, January 13th, 2021, a year ago tomorrow, U.S. Representative French Hill, Rhino Representative from Central Arkansas to U.S. House of Representatives, said that it was a fallacy, a fiction and a fallacy that somehow Donald Trump had a landslide election stolen from him. Also said, he also said, Donald Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th was unforgivable. So that is a guy who is so disconnected from the truth then he needs to be replaced in office. Again, you know, we have listeners from all over the country, but we have a lot of listeners from Arkansas where I used to do local talk radio. French Hill does have a primary opponent in the Republican primary coming up May 24th in Arkansas. And that, that is Colonel Conrad Reynolds. And there will be a meet and greet for Colonel Conrad Reynolds at the um, Whole Hog Barbecue on Cantrell a week from today, 4 to 6 in the afternoon. And the first few folks that get there will get uh, uh, free $10 gift certificates for Whole Hog. They'll be handing out uh, Let's Go Brandon bumper stickers. You know what I'm saying? So um, let's do what we can. we got to get the rhinos out. We're never going to get anywhere that we don't get the rhinos out. Okay, I got a comment here on the Podbean app. It says, it's good to hear Tom Cotton actually taking a stand for the right. He doesn't always do that. Amen. And at times, he's just another rhino, but I'll give credit where credit's due. This is the Tom Cotton I voted for. As a Marine, I respect what he's done in his service to this country, but he seemed to veer to the left off and on over the last two years. Tom knocked it out of the park today. Yeah, he knocked it out of the park today asking about Ray Epps. Absolutely. But uh, a lot of Arkansas voters remember him not standing up for election integrity when it mattered between the November 2020 presidential elections and the January 6th festivities at the Capitol. I'm saying. So anyway, anyway, um, let me just remind you: there are a lot of well-kept secrets in our country. 
And um, the best kept secret in American health care is upper cervical care. In other words, dealing with the C1, the atlas bone of your spinal column. They haven't heard what this is all about. Here's how it goes. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or the C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your digestive system, your circulatory system, your reproductive system, and yes, even your respiratory system. It can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, all kinds of stuff. My wife and I have really, really been helped by getting our atlases adjusted at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. For my listeners in central Arkansas, I'll tell you one thing. For my listeners outside of central Arkansas, I'll tell you another thing. But I'm trying to get you help. So let me ask you something. Do you have migraines? Do you have neck pain? Do you have back pain? Do you have vertigo? Okay, look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? When you look at a picture of yourself, are you naturally leaning your head to one side or the other? If you're answering yes to any of these questions, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. If you're in central Arkansas, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. Or you just go to their website. If you have any questions, turn my power on.com. If you're outside central Arkansas, we have listeners from all over the country. Do yourself a favor. Go to turnmypoweron.com. Go to the website, turnmypoweron.com. And click on the tab that says find a doctor to see if you can find a doctor close to you who can adjust your atlas and maybe help you feel better and get rid of some of these maladies. Um, so our son here in Arkansas woke up the other day with a terrible migraine, terrible sinus issues, disoriented, didn't know what was going on. I got him to the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. They adjusted his atlas, and he felt like a new man. We know so many people who have been helped, not just by the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center here in central Arkansas, but by other upper cervical practitioners. Um, my friend Dr. Mortensen in Lynnhaven, Florida, in the Panama City area, um, my friend Dr. Hafner in Brunswick, Georgia. I mean, these folks are all over the country. And if you have any of these issues, please contact. Please just go to the website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on Find a Doctor to see if you can find one near you. 
All right. I appreciate that. Appreciate their sponsorship of the program. So every day I just feel like we've just scratched the surface. <laughs> every day I feel like we just scratched the surface. But there's always tomorrow. You've been listening to Episode 64 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, January 11th, 2022.